If you would like our free newsletters on various religious topics, just send us an email at cdebater at aol.com and free newsletters will be sent to you by mail. Just provide your postal address in your email. The following are samples of some of the newsletters we have available. Does God Believe in Atheists? Part 1 Seventh-day Adventism True or False? The Agony of Deceit The Origins of Muhammad's Religion Spiritual Warfare Are Psychic Mediums Communicating with Ghosts or Demonic Spirits? Testimony to the Eternal Godhead, the Trinity From Tradition to Truth, a Priest's Story an evaluation of the Oneness Pentecostal movement, Mormonism, counterfeit Christianity, turn or burn, Jehovah's Witnesses, deceived deceivers. Links to these newsletters can also be found at our website, www.biblequery.org. Once on the homepage, simply click on the menu icon at the upper left-hand corner. Then click on the Newsletters button. Feel free to print them out. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and he healed him, so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and began to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. 
But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Greetings and welcome once again to our program. I'm Larry Wessels, Director of Christian Answers of Austin, Texas. Our copyrighted name for this ministry, little few people know, is Christian Debater. We seem to do a lot of debating in this uh, in this ministry that we have. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But anyway, I, I want to thank you for being with us for another program on a subject that uh, a lot of people have been concerned about. In fact, uh, the subject is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just said a lot of people have been concerned about. Rob, I'm thinking, and by the way, Rob is my special guest. Uh, Rob Zins, great to have you here, brother. Thank you. Good to be here. I want to introduce you here to everybody. I'll let you introduce yourself here in a moment. But uh, a lot of people who I would say may not be committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit are the ones who are worried about it. Mm. (laughs) The ones that don't worry about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, they're probably the ones who are committing it. That's an interesting way of looking at it. But before we get into all that, uh, Rob, I'd like, you've been a guest with me here for almost 30 years now, over all the decades. People that watch us on YouTube can see Rob and me get old together. From back when we had most of our hair, and, and you we keep looked, bringing that. Yes, I, enough I, I, is again, enough. But, <laughs> but if anyone wants to see uh, the young ones of us, they can go back to our shows we right. did back in 1990 and all that stuff, or anything in between. But uh, Rob, I'd like you just for our new viewers that haven't seen either one of us maybe before, uh, just do a brief introduction to yourself. What have you been doing all these years, and right. things like that? Your background, the, theologically, and so forth. Thank you, Larry. Well, my name is Rob Zins. For those of you who don't know me, I am a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and I spent most of the early years of my ministry as a pastor-teacher in local church. But there came a point in my life where I was very concerned about having a firm and certain solid witness to my friends and my relatives, my family, who are all Roman Catholic. So, I began a ministry called A Christian Witness to Roman Catholicism, wherein I decided that it is worthwhile to take the biblical gospel and contrast it with the Roman Catholic religion. So really, Larry, since 1990, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness. I think that's when we did our first show. We did our first shows together. 29 years ago. That's right. That's right. At the time of this taping. Somebody might be watching us do this show 10 years from now on the internet. I know. (laughs) Well, that, uh, I don't know, I can't account for all that time gone by, but uh, over the years I've had an opportunity to write a couple of books on the Roman Catholic religion and to debate Roman Catholic scholars and priests all over the United States and in Australia, England, Northern Ireland. Uh, We've had an opportunity to stand up and present the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures and contrast it with Roman Catholic religion. But since I have been involved with Christian Answers, we've expanded that to other topics as well. And so we haven't uh, restricted ourselves to the presentation of God's word simply to the Roman Catholic religion, although we've done many, many videos on that subject. We hope to present God's word in uh, front of any kind of organization that claims to be Christian or claims to have a point of view that doesn't measure up with the scriptures. We're all about the scriptures. We're told that we are to be sanctified in truth. The word of God is the truth. And 
every thought must be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. And the only way you can do that is find out his revelation in the scripture. So for us, it's sola scriptura, the Bible alone for faith and practice. And we try to compare what's going on outside in the world with what God has revealed in his word and uh, make a comparison. And if we feel that uh, something is cultic or something is wrong or askew or heretical. misleading or heretical, whatever, we want to, we want to present it and uh, let the viewer decide for himself. And that's an important point. You need to have your Bible open and you need to sit down, have a cup of coffee or Diet Coke, whatever you want, and begin to read with us and think with us and decide with us what does the scripture say on any of a variety of topics that's right. that we and, might cover. And that's exactly what the scripture says to be. Yeah. You know, you, the uh, Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scripture daily right. to see what the things that Paul was saying was true or not based right. on those scriptures. So exactly. it's you know, what is that scripture? Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, I think it says, Study the show thyself approved, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, right. rightly dividing the word of truth. Right, and that's that's the goal, rightly dividing the word of truth. And sometimes it's not so easy. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's right. very, very difficult because uh, we feel the satanic influences that overcome the uh, outside world introduce religion to their lives and even introduce the Bible to their lives. Mm -hmm. So it's the way they interpret it, the way they understand it, the way they apply it can be very problematic unless we're willing to sit down and carefully take it apart, examine it, and expose mm -hmm. it right. if it is error right. or heresy, as you say. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so viewers of this particular program have uh, seen uh, a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 12 mm. uh, verses 22 through 32, I believe it was. Right. And uh, this concerns probably, I mean, there's a lot of terrifying verses in the, in the Bible. <laughs> okay. Right. So, but this is, this is right up there uh, because you've got Jesus saying that there's something called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Right. And this sin is so great in God's eyes that you'll never get forgiven for it, either in this life or the next life. Right. You know, and we know on the other side of death, you've got either heaven or hell waiting for you. Mm -hmm. Now, we've done lots of videos on purgatory, and if you've seen those, you know there is no such thing as purgatory. Right. <laughs> so it's right. either, it's either One or heaven other. or hell. That's right. And if you've received no forgiveness for the, committing the sin of, of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, well, there's only one destination for you, and that's going to be hellfire for all eternity. Right. Uh, and that's and not a, I think that's why this is such an important passage to unpack in mm -hmm. its context and try to come to grips with what the Word is really teaching us and telling us. And that's what we hope to do. Yes, yes. And uh, I know, Rob, you're, as usual, prepared for these video presentations on certain topical issues. Hope to be. Yes. And uh, so at this moment, I mean, I've got a lot of prepared material here, but I'm going to wait let you do all your research material here for the folks at home, and then I'll throw in my two cents worth as we go along. Good. You feel free to cut me off anytime you want to. Oh, okay? I usually do that anyway. I know you, you do. You've got 30 years experience, 29 in this case. <laughs> well, Larry, I'd like to begin by going back to the passage in Scripture 
And I'm actually going back to uh, Matthew chapter 12, and I want to read a little bit out of verses 1 through 22, so that we can get a background for the statement that our Lord says in verses 31 and 32 to close the uh, passage. We read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, and he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but it was for the priest alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now I bring this passage up to date by reading mm -hmm. these first eight verses to highlight the fact that Jesus is at a point in his ministry where he's beginning to receive a lot of flack from the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. They don't like him. They don't like the way he operates. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like the way he carries himself. And now they I think, think... I think the word like is not good enough. I think you should change it to hate. Well... They hate him enough... To kill him. Ultimately, ultimately <laughs> yes. that's where this whole thing is going to head. We know that reading through Scripture. But I want to I want to just bring us into the what we call the uh, paragraph itself or the pericope or the portion of Scripture that we have to deal with. You can see that Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees because his disciples are picking the heads of grain and eating it. Mm -hmm. Now, there's nothing in the Old Testament that specifically says you can't pick the grain of head and eat it. It mm. doesn't violate the law of Moses, but there's a lot in the law of Moses that prohibits certain activities on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So the Pharisees, picking up on the law of Moses, decided that his disciples were not just picking the heads of grain and eating, but they were harvesting. Mm. And hence they were working on they, the Sabbath. They switched the meaning. So they, so they tried to trap them. And so our Lord... Uh, listens to them, and he turns on them, and he gives them two illustrations that he wants them to understand. The first is the illustration of David. He throws it right back in their face, actually. He wants them to go back into their own Old Testament and mm -hmm. read the story. For when David and his men went into the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, the bread that was reserved for the priests alone, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? What happened to David? Was he condemned for that? Was he thrown in prison for that? Was he disqualified as a leader of Israel for that? And he asked these Pharisees, why don't you condemn David? Of course, they'd never dare condemn David for anything, right? right, right, right. So this is the first illustration he's using. He's building up to something. The second illustration he uses is inherently within the law of Moses is a priesthood. Mm -hmm. And the priesthood have responsibilities. They have mm -hmm. 
responsibility to prepare the bread. They have responsibility to, to clean up after themselves, to get everything ready, and they do it all on the Sabbath. So in essence, technically, the priests, by preparing for the Sabbath, break the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. What Jesus is telling them is that your interpretation, the rigidity of your interpretation of the law of Moses, doesn't fly. It's no good. Mm -hmm. And you are absolutely going to fall into a pit mm -hmm. with this one. And ultimately their hypocrisy will be exposed. Now one thing I want to point out to the audience as you describe this is the logic of Jesus. Right. He uses logic, not just emotional outbursts and feelings that have no rationality to them. It's 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 like a chess player. It's just logical flow. This means this, and because of this, this means that. Right. Uh, and that's the way Jesus presents. Right, and I, I think that the Lord is doing something greater here than that. He is really going to get under their skin mm -hmm. because of this one little statement right here in verse 6. All this happened with the house of God in the Old Testament and David, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 6, I say to you that something greater than mm -hmm. the temple is here. That'll get mad. <laughs> now, <laughs> when Jesus says this, you can imagine the reaction of the Pharisees. Oh, yes. They are Probably grinding yes. inside. And, well, they should be because he is just absolutely mm -hmm. telling them that he's greater than the yeah. temple of God. And he's here right in front of them. To them, that would have to be a blasphemous statement. Well... They're adding up the blasphemies right now. That's right. They're adding them That's up. Right. And Jesus is telling them, if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would have not have condemned the innocent. David was innocent in what he did. Mm -hmm. His companions were innocent in what they did. The priests who prepare on the Sabbath, they're innocent in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But my disciples cannot pluck a grain and eat it on the Sabbath. And I'm telling you that I'm greater than the priests, I'm greater than David, and I'm greater than the house of God. And I'm standing right in front of you, and these are my companions. Yeah. What you got to say about that? That's exactly what he's telling <laughs> right. them. Totally and they agree. are beginning to stew. They're beginning to boil. They're getting upset. And then he gives the clincher to them in verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, there can only be one Lord of the Sabbath, and that's, that's God right. who instituted right. the Sabbath, right? So that's Jesus right. Christ is telling him, I am who I am. Yep. I am God incarnate, standing that's in front right. of you. I am that's right. Lord of the Sabbath. Only God can be Lord of the Sabbath. So now he's really in confrontation with them, okay? Quietly, gently telling them, speaking to them. So they're not happy with him. And he knows it. Let's read on in verse 9 and see what happens. And pardon from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him? Again, they're trying to accuse him according to the law. And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. The Pharisees are burning mm -hmm. inside. They're mm -hmm. burning inside. Mm -hmm. They're burning because 
they not only see his defiance against their interpretation of mm. the law of Moses mm. and application of the law of Moses, mm. they saw something they didn't want to see. They saw a miracle. That's right. They saw a miracle, an absolute miracle. Mm. And they know inside that it takes more power than they've ever seen in their That's lifetime right. to do something like this. That's right. So now the question is, where does this power come from? Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. And they're burning. Where does this, they can't say God. They can't say, because they hate him. Mm-hmm. They hate him. They hate his interpretation. They hate every interpretation. Now we're back to what I said. It's not liking, it's hating. Right, right. They're, they're building to it. So, verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. That's where your word hate comes in. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. And he did so, and he warned them, Verse 17, in order that was spoken through, Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold my servant who have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. Underline that in your Bible or in your mind. I will put my spirit upon him. And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He'll not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. We're talking salvation to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. We're talking it doing, uh, Christ doing it quietly, mm-hmm. without rancor, without mm-hmm. bitterness, mm-hmm. without creating a civil war, without mm-hmm. political upheaval. He simply stands in front of those who are following him, and he said, I am the servant of God. Mm-hmm. I have come, and his spirit is upon me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that's important here, because we're <laughs> going to get to the point where the Pharisees aren't going to accept that at all. They're not going to accept mm-hmm. that the, his spirit is upon Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to accept that he has come to bring salvation to the Gentiles. All that is absolutely foreign to them. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, not only is the Lord defiant in front of the Pharisees, he's reinterpreting the Old Testament for them and applying it to himself, not only to himself, but to his mission, not only to himself and to his mission, but also to the Gentiles. And he's also claiming that it is the Spirit of God who is performing all this before their very eyes. Mm-hmm. So having said all that to the Pharisees, look at verse 22. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind, dumb, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all to Paul, multitudes were amazed and began to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? That's it. That's enough. That's enough. You can just, if you're a Pharisee, you've had enough. Mm-hmm. Now you're calling it's him too the much son of David, take. the long-awaited prophet, David's successor, the Messiah, the Lord to come. Mm-hmm. The Lord of the Sabbath. And they're, ask, they're asking, the crowd is saying, can it be? Can it be? And the Pharisees can't say, of course it is. Bow down. Uh-uh. <laughs> Their answer is found. But when the Pharisees heard it, verse 24, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. That's just another name for the devil, Satan. Another name for the devil, Satan. It'll be at this, this is a turning point, but it's a turning point in one sense. But I just wanted to remind all of you out there that this is not the only time that Jesus has faced this in Matthew. 
You see, this is building. In Matthew 9, 32, 34, we read this. And as they were going out, behold, a dumb man, demon-possessed, was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, Nothing like this was ever seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. That's Matthew 9, 32-34. Then turn forward to Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher, and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Jesus is used to them calling him Beelzebul. Mm-hmm. He's also used to them accusing him of casting out demons mm-hmm. by the power of Satan or Beelzebul. Mm-hmm. So that's perhaps why this passage is so important. And Mark picks it up in his writing, Mark 3.28. He repeats what Matthew says in Matthew 31 and 32. Again, Luke in 12, 8 through 11, repeats what Mark says in 3, 28, 30, and Luke 12, 8 through 11. All three synoptic accounts carry the pericope wherein Jesus finally turns to these Pharisees and he tells them exactly what they are on the verge of doing mm-hmm. and what will happen if they continue. And perhaps they've already done it. Right. That's what this is all leading up to. Mm-hmm. Every time he speaks, every time he heals, every time he does something miraculous, they are, in effect, accusing him of being governed and empowered by Satan. And they finally say it, our passage here. And Jesus' response is perfect. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. By the way, this is the verse that... uh, Abraham Lincoln used Mm -hmm. as president of these United States to try to hold the union together. He knew a house divided against itself could not stand. Mm -hmm. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? It can't stand. And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. You say your sons cast them out by the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. I cast them out, and you say, it's by Satan. Mm-hmm. Your own sons will, will cry out against you because it's impossible to cast out demons by demons. Mm-hmm. That's a house divided. He wants to make that point, mm-hmm. cemented home to these Pharisees. How can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? I do not get my power from the strong man. I bind the strong man, else I cannot carry off his house and his and plunder his house. And then he says this, look, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, I would say that that is probably a much more terrifying verse in this oh, passage. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. I would say that this is the most terrifying Please, Please uh, expound on that. Well, the reason I say that, Larry, (laughs) is because this is not a directional response to something the Pharisees 
had said to him, mm-hmm. perfectly clear, mm-hmm. man to man, mm-hmm. all right? This is a broadcast. Mm-hmm. This is a general statement of Jesus Christ for his time and for every time subsequent to his time, including our time. And for all people. For all people, all, all time. time. It's a general statement. Yeah. He says, and those of you who are in the uh, audience now following us with scripture, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. He doesn't give you a choice. You're either with him or you're against him. There's no neutrality. We talk to people all the time about the gospel and we ask them, what do they believe? And they say, oh, I don't know. I guess, uh, no, I don't really believe this. And I'm, I'm kind of agnostic or I lean more toward atheism. I think this passage needs to be invoked. Look, Jesus Christ said you're either for me or you're against me. Yeah, but and someone response, will say, I go to church at least at Christmas and Easter. Right. <laughs> well, to be for him is to believe his word. And to believe his word is to believe the gospel. And to believe the gospel is to be saved. Amen. Okay. Amen. So, you're either for him, you're either saved or you're unsaved. Right. You're either for him or you're against One or the other. Him. Cain or Abel. So, I think that that verse, to me, is terrifying. Because it sets the parameters for his well, entire ministry. I'd have to agree totally now that you brought that out, because I never really thought about it much like that before. In the context that we're talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is specific to certain individuals. Right. But this verse goes way beyond that to include everybody on the planet. <laughs> there is no neutrality afforded you. You either are for him or you are against him. That's right. And you may not think you're working against him, but by virtue of not being for him, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And you are an offense to God. That's That's what he's saying here. So, therefore, Jesus says, in light of what the Pharisees have said to him, and remember what the Pharisees have said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, for the rest of our time together, we need to understand what he has said, how to apply it, and if it's applicable to us, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do that kind of systematically. Sometimes when you do things systematically, it works out a little bit better. So yeah. bear with me as I try to move forward no in a more systematic fashion. No All right, let's start out with just the idea of blasphemy. What on earth is blasphemy? It's not a common word that we normally use in the English language. So a little bit of research here would help us out. The definition of blasphemy, really, uh, some scholars think it's an anglicized form of the Greek term blasphemia and... uh, probably believes these, this word blasphemia comes from two Greek words, blapto, to injure, and phemi, to speak. Mm-hmm. So if we could use a broad definition of blasphemy, it would be to speak injuriously or 
or injury of speech toward another person, place, or thing. So to blasphemy something is to speak injury to it or mm -hmm. to offend it mm -hmm. or to speak in such a manner as to... Oh, what are some examples? Rail against it, to revile it, speak evil of it. Slander. Slander uh, it. Now, um, it's interesting, too, because in my paperwork here, I have a, a definition of it, which people can see on their screen at home. It says, the term blasphemy may be generally defined as, quote, defiant irreverence, end quote. Yes. The term can be applied to such sins as cursing God or willfully degrading things relating to God. Yes. Blasphemy is also attributing some evil to God and denying him some good that we should attribute to him. This particular case of blasphemy, however, is called, quote, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in Matthew twelve thirty one. The Pharisees, having witnessed irrefutable proof that Jesus was working miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit, claimed instead that, the Lord was possessed by a demon, Matthew twelve twenty four. Mm -hmm. Notice in Mark three thirty, Jesus is very specific about what the Pharisees did to commit blasphemy against against the Holy Spirit. He said this is because they were saying, "quote He has an impure spirit." End quote. Right. Now, right. Please continue. Yeah, yeah I I agree. The, the word is used blasphemy is used some fifty nine times in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So it's not restricted to this use of it. Yes. You can revile things, you can rail against things, you can speak against things injuriously, as we saying, you can curse them, you can do things like that. So one thing that we have to get straight up front is that blasphemy is a sin of the tongue. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. It's what you speak to hurt somebody, hurt their reputation, hurt their feelings, call them down, criticize, or else ascribe to them mm -hmm. things of a nature that are um, so highly critical and offensive that you would use the word blasphemy for it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, we, we come to grips with the term that it is a sin of the tongue, it's a sin of the mouth. It comes from the heart, to be mm -hmm. sure. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's not like striking somebody or hitting mm -hmm. oh, somebody. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a sin of the tongue, the mouth. Okay. Now, in context here, we know that at least means to speak against something. For he says, therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the son of man, that's blasphemy against the son of man. It shall that's be Jesus. forgiven him. Whoever, but whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit. So if you speak against the Holy Spirit, that's blasphemy, okay? Now, one thing I want to point out here and bring attention to mm -hmm. our viewers is, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of cults and anti-Trinitarians and people like this that deny uh, the biblical uh, Godhead, which is the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that when you're dealing with people like Jehovah's Witnesses or something, they don't believe the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right. within the nature of the one God, the one true God, or three eternally distinct persons. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's interesting to me that Jesus says, well, you can blaspheme the Son, which is Jesus. Right. He's not, not, not talking about the Father. 
He's talking about the third person of the Trinity, mm-hmm. the Holy the Holy Spirit. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, well, that's it. Right. You're out of here, right. buddy. And we and, need we need to get to the bottom of this. That's right. Of what he means when he it, says that because it, it seems awfully peculiar to give liberty or license to blaspheme Jesus Christ, but not the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and to me, that's almost another way of showing the Holy Spirit is God, the third person. Because if he's just a power beam like the Jehovah's Witnesses say, you know, that's an electric current. Why would would that send you to everlasting damnation? It certainly puts him on even ground. But there's an issue here. Does it not, by excluding the impartable sin from blasphemy in Jesus, elevate Holy Spirit a little higher. Well, some, some people would say that. Some would say that. That's, You're right. That's the problem. So yes. that's why we got to be careful. Here. Exactly. I agree. So that's what, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's just be infantile in all this and uh, talk about what the unpardonable sin is not. You mentioned earlier in the introduction that there are people who are concerned that they may have committed the unpardonable yes. sin. And uh, I've, I've done a little bit of research on this. What's the most common things that people think that could be the unpardonable sin? Well, some people think murder. Mm-hmm. Is, I can, if I murder somebody, I can never be forgiven. They can't forgive themselves. God will never forgive them, and it's mm-hmm. the unpardonable sin. Mm-hmm. Well, rest assured, it's not murder. Okay, right, right, right. And we know this from Scripture. The, the, the best example is in the life of David. David was a murderer. Yes. He murdered Uriah. He was an adulterer. Uh, he was uh, an offense to God and he was an offense to mankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David cries out after uh, in, in confessing his sin to Nathan. He says I have sinned against God. David knew what he did. He knew how bad he was but he was reassured that even though you have done all this Yes. God had forgiven this sin and will not kill you. Mm-hmm. It is not the unpardonable sin mm-hmm. to murder or to commit adultery. There is forgiveness of sin for these wretched and miserable uh, sins that some people commit. Uh, if you want to read about it, read in Second Samuel twelve nine. David confessed his sin to Nathan, repented, and the prophet told David, The Lord also has put away your sin. Mm-hmm. You shall not die. Yes. Okay, the Lord has put away that sin. Mm-hmm. So it's not murder, it's not adultery. Um, it, it can't even be an overall sense of blasphemy that we're talking about. Uh, the Apostle Paul was an insolent man, and he was a murderer and he railed against the body of Christ and I think in his own testimony let's just take a look at first uh, Timothy chapter one if we will if we can find it right quickly here. Alright, yes. First Timothy chapter one verse twelve I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a what? Blasphemer. I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 
the you you can't say that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the general sin of blasphemy because Paul was a great blasphemer <laughs> right. and right. is also a murderer and uh, he was a violent aggressor etc mm -hmm. etc et we know his story and yet uh, he was forgiven mm -hmm. not only was he forgiven he was uh, given a great ministry that's as right. the apostle to the that's Gentiles right. so it's not murder it's not adultery it's not general blasphemy some have thought that the uh, the unpardonable sin is uh, just generally unbelief. You just don't believe it. You're just an unbeliever. You've heard the story. You've heard the testimony. You've read some scripture. You've listened to the gospel, and you have flat out said, "I don't believe it." But you and I both know that can't be true, because not, then I'm not we, saved. That's, <laughs> before we weren't. Born as born again Christians, right. growing up to be growing up to be theologians and Bible teachers, <laughs> yeah. we we had a different life and we weren't really believers, even though we might have been right. raised in a religion or something. But then people get converted and become Christians. Right. So it's not the unpardonable sin to be what one person calls um, a stubborn condition of persisting in unbelief. It's not that. That's right. Otherwise, nobody would be saved. That's right. Okay. So we, we get past the common objections. But there is one more objection here that we should get to. And that is this little statement. Let's go back to Matthew 12. Okay. Jesus says, Whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age of to come. Two things. Roman Catholics believe that there is a purgatory. Mm -hmm. And it's in the age to come mm -hmm. for the person who dies. Mm -hmm. So they believe that this is validation of a purgatory because Jesus says, you'll not be forgiven in this age mm -hmm. or the age to come. Mm -hmm. With the assumption that there is an age to come where there is forgiveness. But you won't be forgiven in that age. But there is an age to come where there is forgiven, but you won't be forgiven. Get the idea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in this age, nor in the age of come to come. That means that there is an age to come where there will be forgiveness, but not you. Okay. Mm. Well, we've already done enough videos on purgatory to know <laughs> that that's a Roman Catholic invention and it's not biblical. And that's not what this passage is teaching. I want to interject something. Mm. I... Uh, I put up a video not too long ago by one of my favorite theologians. You may be familiar with him, Jonathan Edwards. Right. And uh, anyway, and on the screen of viewers at home are seeing a video of, uh, of Jonathan Edwards giving 35 brutal, scary, and terrifying Bible realities about everlasting... Uh, damnation and hellfire. And uh, one of the things he covers in this video is purgatory, like you were just talking about. It just totally annihilates that argument. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to play a clip from that. What I want to play here is just this, a clip of him talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and how it proves that hell exists just on its own merit of, right. of and so the viewers at home are going to just hear this little clip from Jonathan Edwards. Number 16. 
that all shall not be finally purified and saved is manifest from Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Quote, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Close quote. Also in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, quote, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and all blasphemies, whither withsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Close quote. From each of these places it is manifest that he that is guilty of the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall surely be damned without any deliverance from his punishment or end to it. The various expressions that are used serve much to certify and fix the import of others. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, it is said, quote, The blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Close quote. The negative is general and equally respects all times. If this sin should be forgiven at a remote time, it would be as contrary to such a negative as if it were forgiven immediately. But to determine us that Christ has respect to all times, even the remotest, and that he means to deny that he shall be forgiven at any time whatsoever, in Mark it is said, quote, he shall never be forgiven, or hath never forgiveness. Close quote. And, lest this never should be interpreted to mean never as long as he lives, or never in this world, it is said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, quote, It shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Close quote. And lest it should be said that although he is never forgiven, yet that does not hinder, but that there may be an end to his punishment. Because he may suffer all he deserves in suffering a temporal punishment, or punishment of a limited, long duration. And he that is acquitted in paying all his debt is not said to be forgiven his debt. Another expression is used in Mark, which shows that he shall always suffer damnation and never have deliverance from his misery, whether by forgiveness or without it. Quote, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of to come. Close quote. Show the meaning of the word eternal here to be such as absolutely excluding any period, any time of favor wherein condemnation and punishment shall have ceased. You just heard Jonathan Edwards, mm. and he has just annihilated uh, the arguments that people make about purgatory and 
and annihilationism, you cease to exist and all that stuff. Actually, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit actually proves an everlasting eternal fire but uh, in hell. So anyway, with that, I just want to throw that in. I want to interject it real quick and mm. get you back on topic here. Go ahead. Right. We, we just said that uh, Roman Catholics like to use a passage like this to prove their purgatory because they assume that there is a forgiveness in the age to come. Just this sin will not be forgiven. Okay. But there's another uh, group of theologians who have thoughtfully uh, come to the table and said, well, could this possibly mean that Jesus is saying there's no forgiveness in this age, the age of his incarnation, which is the age of the Mosaic law, the age of the nation of Israel, nor in the age to come, which means in the church, there'll be no forgiveness of this. And if there's no forgiveness of this in the church, then that means that the church can commit this sin. You see, see where they're going? They're saying Talk about convoluted... Uh, thank you. Well, you, you, you got to give them credit for ingenuity there because we're talking about this age, right? Yeah, the age of Israel yeah, yeah. and the age to come, post-resurrection age. That's the church age. Mm-hmm. And there'll be no forgiveness there. Well, if there's no forgiveness there for this sin, then obviously this sin can be committed there, right? So that's uh, we, we don't think the Bible teaches that. We think that that's wrong thinking and it's bringing to the text your presuppositions rather well, than letting what the that makes me itself. think of is first corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 which says they can't understand the things of god neither can they know them for they're spiritually discerned and right. so anyone would come up with an argument like that based on the rest of the context of scripture old testament new testament is simply denying what other scriptures would torch their argument with. well just <laughs> in, just in this one little thought here I think that a a normal reading of the text, Jesus is saying that it shall not be forgiven him either now or forever. Yes. I think that's what he's saying. And we're backed up by this because if we turn forward into Mark uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus is uh, speaking, but uh, he's talking about uh, uh, the rewards uh, he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, children, and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So for him, the age to come is eternal life. It's not a temporal period. Well, it's see, that's eternal. what I was just saying. You yeah. just proved my point yeah. spot on, because anyone make that argument you just came up with is denying other scripture yeah. in context right. that proved that argument totally fallacious. Yeah, I think it's eternal, and I think if we turn to Mark, earlier in Mark, we're, go- we're going to get it straight up. It's I think the passage is in Mark 3.29. Let me grab it up. Yeah, Mark 3.29. It's the passage where Mark reiterates the entire uh, story, and uh, Jesus is, he has Jesus saying in uh, verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of what? An eternal sin. Mm-hmm. That seals it. It's an eternal sin. Oh, it's not just for this age and then not well, forgiven in purgatory. You just torched that argument same. without yeah. my help. So yeah. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, some things come to the table and you look at them and you say, wow, they really are saying that? Mm-hmm. Now, there is a question as to whether or not um, uh, 
this accusation of the Pharisees should be so heinous to the Lord that he would turn and deliver such an uncompromising statement to them, right? But I think if you read through the New Testament and you consider the life of Christ and you consider the Pharisees' resistance to mm. him, mm. probably the worst possible thing they could say mm. would be, you're of the devil. Mm. You have an evil spirit. Mm -hmm. You have a wicked spirit. Mm. So I consulted a little bit of Israeli history, Jewish history on this. Mm. And if someone was found to be profiting or speaking, false prophets, mm. or uh, caring about the kinds of things that are supernatural, mm. beyond the natural, and were, were proven to have done this from a framework of satanic mm -hmm. worship and satanic involvement, mm -hmm. they were killed. Mm -hmm. That's an offense. Yes. Liable to death. Well, you and, look at those Levitical laws. Yes. And, and I just saw a series on, uh, on Netflix. I'll bring this in as an illustration. Uh, called The Last Czar, the mm. story of Nicholas and Alexander of Russia and mm. the Bolshevik Revolution yeah, right, of right. 1919. 1917. Okay. 1917, yeah. 1919. And uh, uh, Alexandra, his wife, fell under the spell of a false prophet. Oh, yes. His yes. name was Rasputin. That's right. The mad monk. Mm. Okay. Well, they showed the history of Rasputin, what he was involved in. This guy is satanic from the get-go. Oh, yeah. All right? All, any, everything about him. Any kind of debauchery he was into. But the, the, so good was he that he took the entire nation down with him mm -hmm. because he got inside the head mm -hmm. of the Tsarina, yeah. the wife of the Tsar, mm -hmm. and also got in the head of the Tsar, mm -hmm. and also got in the head of the Tsar's family. And there was a point where all of Russia was lauding him as their holy man, and he was satanic to the yes, core. Yes. Okay, so if it, th I thought of this passage, and I thought, if the Pharisees had known Rasputin, <laughs> which of course they couldn't in history, but anybody like him, and then they had called Jesus, you're nothing but a Rasputin. Yeah. That's all you are. Yeah. Everything you're doing is satanic. Mm -hmm. Everything you say, all your healing, all this power, it's demonic. Mm -hmm. You are of the devil himself. Mm -hmm. And that is deserving of death. You've got to die. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's going on here, Larry, and I think that's why he turned and said this. So, we're not quite to the end of it, but... We have to consider one more thing, and then we'll try to get to the uh, kind of conclusion of our little study here that we're doing together. Mm -hmm. um, there is a sense where some people want to tie in the fact, they, they believe that you can commit the unpardonable sin, that you can actually do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's on the strength of 1 John five sixteen and 17, the sin unto death, yes. where John said, all sins will be forgiven, I say, but there is a sin unto death. And the assumption is that the sin unto death is committing the 
unpardonable sin. That's an assumption. Blasphemy. Yeah, that's that's the, the key word here. That's the, that's the key word. I, I, d I don't buy that. I don't. And the reason I don't buy that is because John doesn't specify exactly. what the sin. He would have gone is. into detail like Jesus had done. Right. Right. And he didn't. Right. And yeah. so there are sins that Christians could actually commit that could lead to their physical death. Physical death, right. Physical death here where God just takes you out. Okay, you're not going to repent for that. Right. And I'm going to give you space to repent like he yeah. said, I think, to Jezebel in Revelation or something. Yeah. But, but you didn't do it. Right. And so now I'm going to throw you into the sick bed. Right. And, uh, and yeah. that's it. So that's what that really means in context. Yeah. With and, and it could be that uh, we would say the same thing. Your sin, if you know of an unbeliever who's heard the gospel over and over and over again, member of your family, something like that, it's possible that sin unto death is they just reject Jesus Christ and his gospel right up until their death, and there is no hope for them after they die. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's a sin unto and up to death. But what is the sin unto death? Well, what does unto death mean? Well... That's, I've always interpreted it as just physical death. Physical God, death. I have been on the verge. I've told a lot of people this, mm -hmm. that uh, there was a lot of times I've had opportunities to do things I knew were wrong. Right. And I could get into that sin and do things, and I just couldn't do it. I have a healthy, healthy fear of God. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I've often told people the only reason I'm still here is because I was too afraid of God to do all the things I had opportunity to do because I knew God would take me out. There would be a sin unto death because it would lead to all kinds of tragedies in my life and those around me. And so it was just the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feared that's that result in that case, and I've always interpreted it that way. Yeah, here's the text, Larry, and we're not here to discuss this text per se. Right. We're here to disconnect it yes. from Matthew 12, right. because John doesn't make that connection. That's right. Whatever the sin unto death is, it's not connected anywhere in Scripture to, to blasphemy of the, the, the Holy Spirit. John says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not to death. Mm. Right. There is a sin to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not to death. Mm. That's another video. Yes, 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 it is. <laughs> it, is. it is. Now you've got me a little bit intrigued about <laughs> We need to talk about this, but not in this study, all right? <laughs> what we're saying in this study is that there really is no, there's no internal connection between what John, John is exactly. saying about the sin to death with blasphemy of now, the Holy that Spirit. that passage you just read about mm -hmm. the sin unto death, that it correlates actually with 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper. You know, by taking the Lord's yeah. supper, supper unworthily, yeah. there are many that are, are sick and some that sleep. That means they died. <laughs> and uh, so I see a correlation there, but not with right. the right. blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you take it as physical death, the, yes. the, the clause that might mitigate against that is that I do not say that he should make requests for this in reference to the sin yes. to death. Yes. So we'll yes. have yes. to get into that another time. But uh, the disconnect is because the scriptures disconnect. They make no right. correlation between. Right, so right. the the million dollar question is this. 
Can the unpardonable sin be committed today? We're coming to the end mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back and uh, let me preface it with some comments here. Now, before you do mm -hmm. that, let me interject something else here. I want to mention to folks that there's a book I recommend to everybody out there. It's called Hard Sayings of the Bible. It's uh, edited by Walter C. Kaiser Jr. I've actually seen him on the John Ankerberg show and some other stuff. Uh, Peter H. Davids, F.F. Bruce, you may have heard of him, and Manfred T. Uh, Branch. Uh, this has all the hard sayings, and they cover this one hmm. in, in, in this, you know, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, along with a lot of the other tough texts hmm. that a lot of people have a lot of difficulty swallowing. Right. Hard sayings of the Bible. I wanted to get put in a recommendation for that. Good. But, now, uh, even if even if they disagree with me, I agree with you that these things need to be explored exactly. through men who have spent a good bit of time and study. They're familiar with the original languages. They're familiar with context, and they're familiar with trying to be faithful to all of Scripture, yes. not just, yes. now, just the narrow portion. With that said, mm -hmm. and then you'll get to hear this. Mm -hmm. You can then contrast if you disagree or slightly different right. in it, but I'll just read something about this. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has to do with accusing Jesus Christ of being demon-possessed instead of spirit-filled. This particular type of blasphemy cannot be duplicated today. The Pharisees were in a unique moment in history. They had the law and the prophets. They had the Holy Spirit stirring their hearts. They had the Son of God himself standing right in front of them, and they saw with their own eyes the miracles he did. Never before in the history of the world, and never since, had so much divine light been granted to men. If anyone should have recognized Jesus for who he was, it was the Pharisees. Yet they chose defiance. They purposely attributed the work of the Spirit to the devil, even though they knew the truth and had the proof. Jesus declared their willful blindness to be unpardonable. Their blasphemy against the Holy Spirit was their final rejection of God's grace. They had set their course, and God was going to let them sail into perdition unhindered. Reading now from the hard sayings of the Bible, mentioned before, from page 414 and on to page 415. According to Mark, Scribes or experts in the Jewish law came from Jerusalem to Galilee to assess the work which, as they heard, Jesus was doing there, and especially his ministry of exorcism, expelling demons from the lives of those who suffered under their domination. This language indicates a real and sad condition, even if it would commonly be described in different terms today. The scribes came to a strange conclusion. Quote, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. End quote. That's Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Beelzebub had once been the name of a Canaanite divinity, quote, the Lord of the high place, end quote. But by this time, it was used by Jews to denote the ruler of the abyss, the abode of demons. When Jesus knew of this, he exposed the absurdity of supposing that Satan's power could be overthrown by Satan's aid. 
Then he went on to charge those who had voiced this absurd conclusion with blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they deliberately ascribed the Holy Spirit's activity to demonic agency. For every kind of sin, then, for every form of blasphemy or slander, it is implied that forgiveness is available, presumably when the sin is repented of. But what if one were to repent of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Is there no forgiveness for the person who repents of this sin? The answer seems to be that the nature of this sin is such that one does not repent of it, because those who commit it and persist in it do not know that they are sinning. Mark tells his readers why Jesus charged those scribes with blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. It was because, quote, they were saying he has an evil spirit, end quote, Mark chapter 3, verse 30. Jesus was proclaiming the kingly rule of God and his bringing relief to soul-sick, demon-possessed mortals was a token that the kingly rule of God was present and active in his ministry. Quote, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, end quote, he said, quote, then the kingdom of God has come to you, end quote, Luke eleven twenty, In Matthew twelve twenty eight, where these words also appear, quote, finger of God, end quote, is replaced by, quote, spirit of God, end quote. If some people looked at the relief which he was bringing to the bodies and minds of men and women and maintained that he was doing so with the help of their great spiritual oppressor, the prince of the demons, then their eyes were so tightly closed to the light that was for them light had become darkness and good had become evil. The light is there for those who will accept it, but if some refuse the light, where else can they hope to receive illumination? Uh, Larry, I think that um, analysis of the chapter we're in probably hits some pretty good points here. I want to just feather that out a little bit with my own understanding as we're moving through the text here. And I hope everybody is staying with us with the text because we're right in the word here with you. Uh, when he says, whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. We got that, right? Whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. We've got that. The question is, is it possible to commit this same sin? Now, there are a lot of people who say, yes, it's possible because there's blasphemies all over the place. But I want them to remember now, all blasphemies, Mark chapter 3, we'll read it in a minute, shall be forgiven but not this one. Well, what's so unique about this one? I think it's possible that it's unique because the circumstances can never be repeated. There'll never be another opportunity under which a person will stand before God incarnate and accuse him of doing what he does from satanic sources and to be invigorated and impelled by Satan himself. They'll never have that opportunity. So in that sense, it can never happen again. It can't be done. But here's the second thing that I think is more reasonable and perhaps adds uh, a greater force to the argument. There is no other mention 
of the unpardonable sin in any biblical passage written after the resurrection it's of Jesus point. Christ. It's, it's never mentioned. Yeah. And when you think about it, if this were the unpardonable sin, you would want the Apostle Paul, who was a great blasphemer mm -hmm. after the resurrection, mm -hmm. you would think that he would countenance that and make mention of it. It's not in the catalog of sins, which mm -hmm. is contrary to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's never mentioned. It's never mentioned by Paul in any catalog of sins. It's never met when he mentions such for some of you, mm -hmm. but you have been washed, you have been cleansed. Well, that's First Corinthians chapter uh, first, six. Chapter Right, yeah. First Corinthians six, he doesn't mention this, and the the sense is that this is probably the, the most profound sin on earth if you can still commit it. Wouldn't there be more mention of it in the rest of Scripture? Right. I'm not saying That's that right. God would have. That's to. a good argument. Now right. here's a here's a caveat for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Judas was as guilty as those Pharisees of committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that his sin was so grievous that he'd end up in perdition. What do you think? He didn't commit that exact sin. He never looked the Savior in the eye and said, you do this by power of Satan himself good and point. his demanding Very power. good, very good. Yeah. He ended up in the same place as those Pharisees. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> he was... Demon possessed by right. Satan himself. Yes. And he was face to face with Jesus, right. God in the flesh. Right. Right. So there are so, so many similarities between him right. and the Pharisees who are blaspheming Jesus right, uh, right there to his face. Right. We're not saying that hell is any less for you if you go to hell outside of Christ because you refuse to believe the gospel. We're simply saying that if you have committed this sin, mm -hmm. God won't save you. Mm -hmm. He won't save you. Now, the reason he won't is because it's unpardonable. That's God's decree. It is unpardonable. Yes. And you've done it. Mm -hmm. But what have they done? We're trying to get to the, yes. what have they done here? Yes. Is it repeatable? I think that I would say it's unrepeatable because of those two basic Premises. Yeah, because, yeah. see, you refuted the point about Judas. That's why I threw it out there as a little curveball. Right. But, because uh, he didn't just, he just did what Jesus told him to do. Right. What thou doest, do quickly. Right. And he, with being Satan possessed, he just jumped up and went out there and betrayed, betrayed yeah. Christ. But it wasn't the same as what those Pharisees were doing there in Matthew 12. Yeah. So, good point. And, and I think you're right in and that's why everybody who rejects the gospel, everybody who says it's a bunch of baloney, everybody who said it's just another ism, everybody who says that that's your point of view, everybody who says, eh, Jesus, good philosopher, they are in some sense blaspheming yes. the whole kit yes. and caboodle, yes. right? Yes. But they're not doing this that's right. to his face in that's front right. of him in this historical moment. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it's unrepeatable. Right. And so uh, for the viewers out there, Rob agrees with these scholars in his book I recommend, Our Saints of the Bible. <laughs> Get a copy at your local bookstore. Uh, although I warn everybody, local bookstores have almost more heresy in a lot of these modern writers than they do good theological books. So maybe it's better to order it online. 
through Amazon or something, just so you don't get all that heresy at a Christian bookstore, so-called Christian bookstore. I want to just throw yeah. that in. There have been, been all kinds of explanations. Uh, the most unique one that I have uh, uh, read was when Jesus said in Matthew 12, whoever shall speak a word or blaspheme against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. And they say, well, all that means is that what Jesus is incarnate. Mm -hmm. He calls himself the Son of Man. It's a particular title of his incarnation. Mm -hmm. But once he's resurrected and he's back in heaven as the Son of God, mm -hmm. you can't blaspheme him either. That's right. the unpardonable sin. Right. Now, I read that and I think through that and I think, I don't think so. Are we going to lay that much emphasis on him calling himself the Son of Man in this instance and say, you can do it while I'm incarnate, but you can't do it when I'm in heaven, because mm. that's unpardonable. Mm. See, I can't follow that. I can't right. follow that trail, even right. though some people have suggested right, right, right. that, that right. we should lay that much emphasis on Son of Man. Okay. I don't think so. So have you completed your presentation here, or do you have anything more to say? Well... <laughs> I guess I'm done. Okay, so with now this. with that with that established, <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off. If you had any more research you put together, but uh, uh, let's say someone out there, you know, they've enjoyed this show, or maybe they disagree with us on something, or maybe they think you, despite what we've said, you can still commit the blasphemy, and they're worried about it, right? Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to read for some one of my favorite theologians, if I can find the paperwork here. Uh, have you ever heard of a guy named uh, R.C. Sproul? Oh, I thought, I think R.C. is great. I like okay, yeah, I, I like him too. Yeah. So I recommend R.C. Sproul's Ligonier Ministries. I like what the man has to say. Now, uh, I've got a quote here by him. Now, this is for those people that don't, don't understand what we just said in this mm -hmm. video. We just said the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit doesn't apply anymore because it's a one-time event found in... Mark chapter 3, Matthew chapter 12, with right. those Pharisees there, right. stuff like that. So, But let's say you don't believe us. Right. <laughs> let's say you take a different tag and you're worried about it. I like what R.C. Sproul said about yeah. it, to people that are worried about that. And here's what he said. And I, well, I'm reading from a reference to one of his books here. He says, Dr. R.C. Sproul writes in his commentary, Mark, quote, worrying about whether one has committed the unforgivable sin is one of the clearest evidences that the troubled person has not committed this sin. For those who commit it are so hardened in their hearts that they do not care that they commit it. End quote. Blasphemers of the Holy Spirit are so hardened against God that they do not care about sin. So if you are repentant, we can be sure we have not blasphemed the Spirit. And so yeah. he, he just says, if you're worried about it, then you couldn't have committed it. Yeah. And if you did commit it, if you're one of those that believes you can still do it, well, you're not you're never going to be worried about it because right. you could care less. Uh, do you think the Pharisees were worried about it? But heck no. No. They wouldn't be caring. No, they killed them. That's right. They put them to death. They're not, That's right. They're not worried about it. So if you are worried about it, you haven't done it. That's right. And I've got another statement here from uh, another ministry that I like called uh, uh, Carm.com with Matt Slick. 
I don't know if you ever heard of him. I have heard. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. How do you forget a name like that? That's right. He's very. He's a very good Christian apologist, uh, theologian. Here's what he says about it. Can a believer commit the unforgivable sin? No, a believer cannot commit the unforgivable sin. How can someone who has been born again, John 3, 7, made a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and received eternal life, John 10, 27 through 28, actually commit the unforgivable sin. He cannot. Jesus himself said that we have eternal life, not conditional life. Quote, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. End quote. That's John 10, 27, 28. Besides, it says... Uh, that the Christian is a new creation. We are, and that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We are different, no longer slaves to the old nature. Romans 6, 14. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. There is no biblical support for a believer committing this sin. It just hasn't happened. Also, if you're worried that you may have committed the sin and can't be forgiven, then don't be concerned. If you are worried about it, then you haven't committed it. If you are worried about it, that is a sign you have not committed it. If you had, you wouldn't be concerned. That's sort of what R.C. Yeah, Sproul said. That's exactly what Sproul is so, saying. So what I like about throwing this stuff in here at the end is uh, the fact that uh, if someone didn't believe our conclusions, right. that it was a one-time event, yeah. and they're still thinking it can go on, well, here you have some arguments to deal with that. That's right. To help out those believers who are still concerned despite what we say. <laughs> and on the other side of the coin, how about all of you in the listening audience who say, whew, I'm glad I got through that one. I can't do that. I cannot do it. I'm glad he explained that to me. That's I right. can't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, so That's right. I'm in good shape. That's right. Are you really? Oh, I... The same Lord who said that in Luke 10 says this in Luke, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man, shall confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. The fact that you can't commit the unforgivable sin does not save you from eternal hell. You deny Christ now, he denies you forever. I just want to make sure of that. Well, just when you had them feeling relieved, right? you just messed it all up. <laughs> You've got to have the balance. you got to have the balance. Amen, amen. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was well said, and that was a great verse to finish on. And uh, for the, our viewers that may be concerned now about what you said right at the end, could you give us a, just a brief little gospel message to those people who may want to escape eternal destruction through the living Son of God. Yeah, uh, most of you probably won't like to hear this, but the gospel is designed by God to save sinners from God. It's the wrath of God. So if the wrath of God, we're told in Scripture, abides upon all those who are outside of Christ, it stands to reason that the only safe place in the universe is to be in Christ. And the only way you can be in Christ is by faith 
to take his righteousness as your own and trust his atoning work on the cross to be sufficient to save all of your sins, past, present, and future. You must come to Christ. You must see him as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Redeemer, as your propitiatory satisfaction, sacrifice for God in heaven, for that is the reason he came. Most people think that God saves you from your sins. Well, that's only half-truth. He really saves you from himself because he is utterly holy. And God in heaven has devised a way by which his utter holiness will be satisfied by the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. So in reality, if you turn this down, you are turning down the only way in the universe you can possibly avoid an eternal hell for yourself. So we urge you, come to Christ. See him as your Redeemer, as your Savior. See yourself as a sinner. You are. My goodness, if you only committed two sins a day for one year, you would be over the top. What are you going to do if you sin twice a day for 40 years, 50 years, your whole life? You are a sinner. You can't avoid it. And the Word of God gives you escape if you would but come to Christ. So we adjure you, come to Christ, see him in his glory, see God in his purpose in sending his son to die for sinners like you, me, and Larry. Amen, brother. Well said. Thank you, Rob, for being on the show with You're us. You're more than welcome. Great presentation. I want to thank everybody there to hang, that, hung, that hung in there with us to get to the end of the show. Uh, and just remember one thing. It goes right back to what Rob was just saying here in the conclusion. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, that's God the Father, but by me. So the only way you're going to save yourself from the wrath of God is through Jesus. And he made that perfectly clear. Come to Christ today. Don't put it off. You never know. And I tell this to people a lot. I say, well, by God's grace, I'll be here tomorrow or whatever it is. Lord willing. Yes. yes, Lord willing, because you never know if there's a bumper out there on the highway that's got my name on it. I could be gone tomorrow. I remember talking to a guy at work, and he said, I've got my life planned out. I'm going to work here for 10 more years, and I'm going to, I'm going to sell all my property, and I'm going to ring up. I'm going to max out all my credit cards and then leave the country so I don't have to pay back the credit cards. And then I'll live in one of these third world countries like a king off all that money I got. And I said, man, you don't even know if you're going to live through tomorrow. Right. You know, and uh, how can you think you're going to be able to pull that off 10 years from now? Well, anyway, make a long story short, that particular employee I work with at this night job, he was dead within two years after he said that. He was a young guy. He was only in his 40s. Yeah. And uh, he died of leukemia. Mm. And uh, next thing you know, he's gone. Just like that. He wasn't, you know, you can't count on the next day that's in the providence of god so the best thing to do is go to the one who controls providence time and everything else god himself well with that said god bless you i'm larry wessels for christian answers with rob zins and join us again next time god bless you all bye-bye good if you like our youtube channel please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. 
Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.